We're going to continue in our series today of uh, the person of interest, and uh, we have uh, already discussed how the arrival of Jesus came perfectly according to the spiritual fuse, the cultural fuse, and the prophetic fuse, which we talked about last week. And just in case you're catching up for the first time, basically what we are uh, realizing and are challenged with, and this terminology of of fuses comes from uh, the book, Person of Interest by J. Warner Wallace, who who was discovering Christianity, uh, really uh, trying to disprove it, really, uh, as his wife was interested in uh, Christianity, he became uh, interested in how he might be able to disprove it, and uh, he was a cold case uh, attorney now as an author, uh, writing books uh, like this uh, about how he discovered the truth, and he used this terminology that he used as he would do investigations and as he would try to determine, um, as he would try to determine who was the perpetrator for these cold case uh, accounts and these cold case trials or these cold case, um, um, not trials, but um, you know, cases. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, as he would, he would acknowledge that there was kind of this event and then that he would be able to find out who it was by tracing the fuse ahead of time as well as the fallout afterwards to determine who uh, the perpetrator was or who the person was, the person of interest. And so he applied the same kind of idea with looking at Christianity. And the fuses he identified were those three fuses, the cultural fuse, the uh, spiritual fuse, and the prophetic fuse. The spiritual fuse, just briefly recapping, is this idea that in the heart of every person and every person who's ever lived is this idea of wanting someone to believe in something deeper. And he acknowledged that even mythology was based around certain ideas of what human beings desired in their higher being that they believed in. And as he as human beings over a span of time wanted these various things, what he automatically assumed was just Jesus being a copycat of all these others was actually God fulfilling the heart's desires of human beings. The, heart, the heart's desire of a God, a, someone to follow, and he traced how Jesus wasn't a copycat. Jesus actually fulfilled them all the desires that people have and that God would fill those. He looked at the cultural fuse. The cultural fuse, he mostly focused on how everything led up until the rule and reign of Rome and how that opened this opportunity for everything to transpire the way it did, to have the freedom because of the Pax Romana, to, for, a, for Judaism to flourish, for even this Christianity to flourish during this time. And then last week we talked about the prophetic fuse, about how in the Old Testament we see that uh, everything that um, was prophesied about Christ was fulfilled in him. And as he, uh, J. Warner Wallace, is uh, looking at all these fuses and identifying all these 
facts as he's very skeptical coming skeptical coming into the whole thing you see that he begins to believe and begins to think maybe I shouldn't be as skeptical as I was and the evidence continues to stack up pointing to Jesus Christ as the person of interest today I want to pause for a moment and trying to convince you who may be skeptical and I want to examine what Jesus's followers began to do and even what God himself made clear and made this truth clear that the arrival of Jesus was perfect and we'll begin with Ecclesiastes 3.11 which tells us that eternity is written on their hearts our hearts right that God makes everything appropriate in its time and he has put eternity in our hearts that's what I was talking about before that's the spiritual fuse that you and I have eternity in our hearts we have a desire to know something bigger grander be better deeper than ourselves You and I want to believe in something deeper than ourselves, something bigger. Now, can I just say for just a moment, and I don't know if maybe you're in this room and you've been hurt by Christians or you've been hurt by the church and maybe that adds to your skepticism. You know, it's interesting with, with uh, Easter, we coming up, we... We've done a lot to get the word out about our Easter services, like every church does. We've sent flyers to uh, uh, homes surrounding our church, uh, mailers that they can get to understand what's going on here. We've, uh, we've done things like hand out a bunch of flyers yesterday in cups at the Egg Hop, which was fantastic, by the way. The Lord blessed there. The weather was great and had a great turnout. One of the things that we've done is that we've pushed on Facebook, we've boosted our ads about our Easter services, which is it's good, we're getting a lot of traction, but what it also brings are the skeptics, are the skeptics. And I have to wonder, with, with people who are commenting on our posts, and you can't see them because we delete them, but um, because they're, they can be a little crude. Um, what I wonder with the skeptics that are chiming in. My, my heart hurts to say, you know what? Why are you so bent out of shape? Why are you so skeptical? And my guess is that they've probably been hurt by a Christian, by the church. So maybe there's people in here, even today, been hurt by people who should have shown you the truth of God's word, this truth that God has written on our hearts, this desire to have eternity with him, and somehow, somewhere, somebody's messed that up for you. Can I just say for a moment that this thing is not about human beings? This is about God. God loves you, and we humans, we kind of mess things up sometimes. Now, if that's you, I'm sorry. If you've been hurt, can I say, if you've been hurt by me or by this church, I'm sorry. And I hope that you can, we can reconcile, and I hope that we can get those things straightened out. But at the end of the day, that wasn't God. God loves you. God wants you to know that he 
knows that in your heart you have a deep desire for him, whether you recognize it or not. I want you to pause for just a moment and consider deep down the need you have to know God, to know something deeper than you, something greater than you, something far better than you in your life. And I think we can see in two passages today, I want to consider two of them to help us see God's perfect timing for Jesus to come and to bring what your heart desires. Redemption. Forgiveness. Freedom. The thing that is written on your heart God himself accomplished for you. No mythology could do it. No human being could accomplish it. And God finally said, the time is right. Everything's in place. All the things are lined up for me to come myself and to deliver you once and for all. We've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. We've talked about the uh, biblical theology of, of redemption. And we've traced it all the way back to the Exodus. And what we realize and see is that God is the God of the Exodus. God is the God of redemption. God is the God of freedom and second chances and deliverance. And what Moses could not accomplish, what King David could not accomplish, what the Israelites themselves could not accomplish, and what you and I today cannot accomplish, Jesus Christ came once and for all to accomplish it for you. God himself came down from heaven, put on flesh, and died on a cruel cross to take the punishment of your sin and my sin. He became a curse for us. He became a curse for us so we wouldn't have to stand cursed before God. He did that. He's a better Moses. He's a better David. He's a better Israel. And he is once and for all Lord and Savior. We can place our trust in him. And that's what this passage, these passages help us to see. The first one is Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8. And so you have a couple options here. You can watch the screen. That will be the easiest. But if you want to, go ahead and flip over to Galatians 4, 4 through 5. We'll jump right into both of them. And if you're able, out of reverence for God's word, would you stand as we read these two passages? I'll explain how they connect in a moment. So when they had come together, they asked him, this is the disciples, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus had ascended, or he had rose from the dead. He had visited them in the upper room. And this is what they say to him. And he says to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. The Father has set by his own authority. It's not for us to know that time or place. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. When the time came to completion, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who under the law, those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And I want to show you how these passages tie into this idea of God coming in the fullness of time at the right time by sharing three points. Number one, the Father set redemption at the center of His plan. When Jesus encountered His disciples and they assumed, okay, now Jesus is going to establish His kingdom in Jerusalem. He's going to establish His kingdom in Israel. So He died, but He rose again, and now He's going to do this earthly thing that we expect Him to do. And Jesus is like, no, you still don't get it. You still don't know what's going to happen. It's okay. That's not for you to worry about. Here's what I want you to worry about. Focus on God. Focus on the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you, empower you to do what you need to do. But in that phrase, in that uh, passage, he, he says a phrase that I think is, is huge. It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. God has set the time. God has set the timetable. It's not for us to worry with that. It's not for us to be concerned with that. We are to do what God wants us to do in our own lives. We are to focus on Him. We're to focus on being empowered by His Spirit. And we'll see that in a few moments. But we are to do the work that He's put before us and let Him worry with the times that He's already set. But what I see in this is that God has set a completion of a specific task at the center of all the things that He does. We've talked about this, as I've already talked about on Wednesday nights, as we've been talking about the biblical theology of redemption. We see that from the very beginning, God is the God of the Exodus. He's the God of redemption. He's the God of deliverance. He's the God of freedom. And he's the God of salvation. We see him again and again when the people of Israel had gotten themselves into a mess. What does he do? He delivers them out of it. He brings freedom. He brings deliverance to them because that is who our God is. And at all along, all along, as these things are coming to fruition, as it's happening with Moses and then with David and then, with, uh, and then even uh, with the Israelites in the Old Testament, they're all leading up to the coming of the Messiah. And that's what we talked about last week, is that every single one of these prophecies, the fuse is burning, it's gra uh, garnering and grabbing more traction as it goes until that moment that Jesus was to come on the scene, prophesied by Daniel almost to the exact, date or really could be considered that. Jesus came to do this thing and what God was doing all along was painting the picture, setting at the very center of his will and the center of his plan to bring freedom and redemption to a people to call his own. The people who would trust in him by faith. The people who would put their lives in hope in him. Jew and Gentile alike, the people that would trust in the freedom that Jesus bought himself. That was his plan all along to bring about redemption for you, for me, and for all who would come to know him and believe in him. He bought it, and that was his plan 
and its redemption is at the center of his plan. Jesus, after his death and resurrection, tells his followers that God will worry about the timing of everything, particularly the kingdom and its fulfillment, but that eternity was on the hearts of the people and God answered their heart's cry. Jesus came at the right time to accomplish redemption. And soon the disciples slash apostles would be empowered to go out and to deliver it to the entire world. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That people at the very corners of every part of the earth would one day know this redemptive plan. That's God's plan. That's what he accomplished. And that's why we're still here. Because they're are still peoples who do not know. And we must take the message to them. He is the God of the Exodus. He is the God of redemption. The second thing I think that we should consider is that Jesus came to set people free. Paul, in Galatians 4, notes these things. He's writing to Christians who are Jewish and Gentile gathering together as a body of believers in this place uh, where Galatian, where he, these people of Galatia that he wrote to, he's telling them that Christ came at the completion of God's timing. Verse 4 of chapter 4. When the time came to completion, or other translations say, in the fullness of time, at the exact right time is what it means. Exactly when God meant for it to happen, it happened. Exactly when God knew it would be the best time possible, Jesus came to do what God had called him to do. And then Paul continues to tell them what that is. And he says... When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, so that we could be set free from our bondage, that we could be set free and be bought into the family of God, that we could be placed into his family, adopted by him as sons and daughters, that we could be given freedom and love and redemption. You and I no longer have to live in bondage because Jesus came to set people free. Listen, if you're here today and you paused for a moment when I asked you to and thought about the deepest desire of your heart to really dig down real deep and understand that at the very core of every person, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, is this deep desire to know something deeper and bigger than themselves. Here's the answer. You don't have to look any longer. You don't have to look in what the world says that you need. You don't have to look in false places of assurance. You don't have to look at people any longer. You don't have to look to failed relationships. You don't have to look to substances. You don't have to look to whatever this world say you might need or desire or need to fulfill you. 
Jesus Christ came at the right time to set you free from whatever you've placed your trust in to give you that deep desire of your heart to fulfill what only he can fulfill for you, for me, to adopt you into his family, to make those of us who were once dead alive or once were without hope now hope-filled because we have our hope in our Father. We have our hope in Jesus who adopted us into his loving family. And we're not just, we're not just the, the stepchild, if you will. We're not just an add-on. We're not some servant. No, it says we are sons and daughters. He loves us as his own. God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. It says we are joint heirs with him in Ephesians. Whatever is afforded to Christ, the firstborn, is afforded to you and I. It's ours in him, and he loves us to the uttermost. Going back to Acts Chapter 1, the third thing that we see here is that we must set our focus on the Spirit's empowerment. It's not for you, verse 7, to know times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority. But, but, so He's saying, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. This is what you need to be concerned with. But, the, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He's saying, don't worry about times. Don't worry about what's happening around you. Don't worry about when this thing's going to end or when it's going to begin or when this might happen or when that might happen. No, don't focus on that. They didn't get it either because as soon as Jesus ascended to heaven, an angel had to come back down because all they did was just sit there and stare up into heaven expecting, I guess, Jesus to come right back down and say, all right, let's go, you know. Well, it wasn't April 1st. It wasn't an April Fool's joke, right? He didn't just go up and come right back down. So the angel had to come down and say, what are you doing? Get to work. You got work to do. They didn't get it. Jesus said it here. Don't worry about the times. Don't worry about when God has already appointed these things. That will come when it is exactly supposed to come. But you need power and I will give it to you through my spirit so that you can do the work ahead of you. Our task is to focus on God, be filled with his spirit, and deliver the life-giving message of Jesus' redemption to all we come in contact with. Our job is to be his witnesses, empowered by his spirit, to go and share with the people in our lives 
We call it our circle, right? My circle, that's what we've deemed it. And I love, I love that that's being adopted into the, the vernacular of our church. I love that. But it's just, some, it's just us coming up with a creative way to describe what you already had before we ever made that up. The people in your lives who don't know the Lord are in your lives so, so you can tell them, so that you can be God's witnesses empowered by a spirit to share the life-giving message of Jesus with them, with them. God's timing is perfect. God's position is perfect that he's placed us in. He's put us in the exact right place to make the impact needed to change people's life. So the mission is clear. We must go we must go and we must tell and we must help people to find life in Christ. In just a few moments, I want to offer an invitation that you would be challenged to, to uh, respond to God in any way that you uh, feel like He's calling you to respond to Him. Maybe it's salvation today. Maybe it's um, really just determining I'm, I'm going to live by the power of the Spirit. Maybe it's coming and being part of what God's doing here in this church through membership. I, I don't know. Whatever God is calling you to do, I encourage you to do that in just a few moments. But before we, get to, before we do that, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, to commune with Christ's body and His blood, to commune with his redemption. This thing that we do, we try to do it once a month, this thing that we do once a month is exactly, we do it that often because it's exactly what we've already said. The Father set redemption at the center of his will, at the center of his plan, so much so that we do this as often as we do it in remembrance of him, in remembrance of his shed blood and his body beaten and hung on a cross so that our redemption could be purchased. So we remind ourselves, we look back to what he accomplished, what he accomplished in our lives so that we could keep at the center of our hearts and at the center of our lives the redemption he bought for you and me with his blood. We don't do this lightly. It's not just an add-on to the end of a service once a month. It's important. It's important because we're recalling how our sins were washed away. How we were delivered and set free by Christ. So would you take a moment and bow your heads and just take this moment seriously. Confess sin before the Lord. Get your hearts right. And as you're doing that, I'm going to ask that our deacons would go ahead and come on up and get ready to uh, administer the Lord's Supper to us in just a moment. But take a moment and set your hearts on the Lord and think about His redemption.